It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 6.08 on a Saturday morning. Welcome, everybody. Glad you're here. This is the Lawn and Garden Show, and I am Walter Reeves, and I have made it to the studios at the right time now for 21 years, and so that is something to be proud of. Scott is proud of it, too, because he does not want to host this show, nor Ashley, but I'm here. Today, I will host the show. Scott will do his usual great job engineering. Ashley will do her usual great job screening calls, and you will do your extremely wonderful and beneficial job of calling in with questions. Anything you want to ask about your garden, your lawn, your shrubs, trees, pests, problems, weather, if you want to talk about it, we'll talk about it. And remember, it doesn't matter if you know anything about plants. It doesn't matter. I don't really care if you can't pronounce camellia or if you don't know what lyriope is or you don't know the Latin name for something like that. Heck, neither do I most times. I mispronounce things all the time. So if you've got a burning question on your heart, 404-872-0750. First to report on what I have done this week in my garden. The answer is not a whole lot. I did a lot of what I did last week and the week before that, which is making sure everything is watered, making, thing, making sure that I have a little layer of mulch underneath some of my plants. You know, one of the things is learning which plants can and can't take sunshine. And this is important because there's a particular plant, coleus. Now, many people grow coleus back in the dark ages. Grandmothers grew coleus. And back in the dark ages, Coleus was almost certainly always going to be grown in the shade. It was a shade-tolerant plant. You put it in the sun, it immediately just fries, cooks, dead. We don't ever put coleus out in the sun. Until about, I guess it's been 20 years now, that the researchers, uh, the first one I was aware I was over the University of uh, Alabama at Auburn, and the researchers there came out with a couple of more shade-tolerant coleus, and then that was followed on by Alan Armitage at the University of Georgia, who brought in some more shade-tolerant or, or sun-tolerant coleus. And so both Auburn and UGA were working on sun-tolerant plants, giving a little bit of genetic, not manipulation, but just a little better breeding and finding uh, plants that could tolerate the sun a little bit better, and so breeding those. And finally, they got several plants, several coleus plants that could grow in the sunshine perfectly. And they were fabulous, still are fabulous. I love the sun-tolerant uh, coleus. The problem is that sometimes you can't tell now from the label whether or not a plant is or is not sun-tolerant. And I have three coleus plants that I thought hmm. thought were sun-tolerant, but boy, oh boy, they sort of cooked out in my garden. And if I were a good gardener, I would go and move them, but I'm so lazy that I just hope that somehow they'll do better if I water them well. If I water them well, I hope these things come through. But I don't know, maybe this week, maybe this week I'll get out and move those coleus around to a place where they'll be a little bit happier and more shade, more shade for them there. Uh, the watering, of course, if you want to give somebody a good present for Father's Day, hey, Father's Day's coming up, a great present is a watering wand. I know that a lot of guys mostly use the hose to water things. They just put their thumb over the end. You sort of skeet the water out, you know, using your thumb over the end of a water hose. That's what guys do. But if you really want to do it in a way that is just pleasurable to use to water plants, a water wand 
You know what that is? It's a, it's a, a tube, a pipe thing that you connect to the end of your garden hose. And um, on the end of it is a little gizmo called a water breaker, and it breaks the water up into a very gentle uh, stream, and it doesn't hurt the plants. Because sometimes when you do it with your thumb, you know, you put too much water in one place, it'll uproot the plants that you just planted last week. And so that's a mess. But if you use a water wand, it it breaks the force of the water. I mean, that's basically what it does, a water breaker, water wand. And it makes the plants a whole lot happier when you water them because you're not knocking them out of the ground. And they only cost like eight, nine, ten maybe dollars at uh, garden centers around town. And I just love water wands. They are the best. I bought a new one four days ago, I guess it was, back earlier in the week. I got a new one because I have a particular part of the garden that has a hose but it doesn't have a water wand attached to the end of the hose. I don't use it that often. But when I did use it a couple, four days ago, I thought, man, i got to have a water wand on this thing. I went out to the hardware store and got it, and now I can water on that end of the garden without having to worry about all my plants getting knocked down. Well, that's what I've done this week. What have you done this week? Again, number 404-872-0750. A question comes to our friend Nicole down in Griffith, Georgia. To see what Nicole has been doing this week. Hey, Nicole. Mr. Reeves. Mr. Nicole, what's going on? Uh, I've been doing a lot of ooh, we weeding. Yeah, true. Uh, it's an ongoing thing, isn't it? If you don't weed now, you'll surely weed in the future because all the weeds you let live now, they have about a million seeds on them, and they're going to make a million more weeds next year. And so, yeah, you got to keep ahead of it. Yeah, you have to catch them in time. Uh, talking about callus, many times, me too, I had to, I got to it. And now I go to the same greenhouse, and I said, make sure. And she said, come back if they're not and because they're asking for sun. Yeah, they want the right amount of sunshine, coleus do, and like I said, some varieties like a lot more sun, and others just prefer to be back in the shade. I still love them. Yeah, 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 great plants. A lot of bang for the buck. Even though they don't have flowers, that's the great thing about coleus, is they are attractive and interesting Put in the right place, of course, but attractive and interesting from the day you put them in the ground until frost comes and freezes them in the fall. They are interesting plants. They are easy because you can do a lot of cutting and put them back in the soil yeah, right away. You can right root them away. and make more yeah. of them and stuff like that. Ashley says that you wanted to talk about a bird today, Nicole. Yes. Oh, this bird. I'm telling this is a cafeteria. Okay, I know where they go there because they feed them in the back with bread and oh. things like this. But they build the nest really early, yeah. okay? Big old fat nest, about two, three inch high. Yeah. I mean, just like, get to be comfortable with feathers and moss and even <laughs> the straw, the paper around the straw. Yeah, yeah. But somebody cut the bushes. And, and so. the poor bird nest was on top of it. You know what I did? I took it and I bring it to the school and I showed it to the kid and yeah. I said, "Do you know how many thousand a trip it was? You know for them." Yeah, yeah. But then I went back this week. Eh, they returned. Oh, great! Great, isn't it? Yeah, they yeah, are yeah. so resilient because they have to start all over again to make their own nest. But it's not like you and me. We live in we build a house and we live in it for fifty years. Birds make their own nest, most birds anyway, make their own nest um, every year, maybe a couple of times in the year. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And it needs to be, it needs to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. They're not putting rough sandpaper in this nest. Well, by the way, let me mention something that I learned fairly recently, Nicole, is that a lot of people, you, me, who love birds, want to put nesting materials out in the spring so they'll have something to make their nest with. And I have been tempted before to get the 
lint out of a, my clothes dryer, put it out thinking that they would use that. And bird experts say that the clothes dryer lint is actually not a good thing to put in bird's nests, mainly because it absorbs so much water that it makes the bird nest damp and uncomfortable and the birds don't like it in there. So don't put clothes dryer lint out for the birds. They really would rather you didn't do that. You can take clothes dryer fabric, you know those little squares you put into the dryer to make your clothes smell good. You can cut those into very, very thin strips and they'll use that. That doesn't uh, get damp and soggy or anything like that, but just don't use the lint. Well, I live near a cemetery. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, uh, silk flower. Huh, yeah. And I find them in the nest all the time. Oh, a really? little piece of carpet that pull <laughs> on the blue. I swear, those birds, they're working night and day. <laughs> Going to the cemetery looking for materials to put in there. Well, I guess that just makes sense to me. Now, did you watch, or have you ever watched on uh, the computer bird cams where they have a camera on a particular bird nest and you watch the babies being made in, or born or hatched or whatever you call it in bird cams? Well, yes, because it was in the newspaper, this whole, you know, or oh, I didn't watch on the computer, but it was this, uh, uh, some kind of eagle yeah. in the University of Georgia that had the, the, and they were saying, why are so early? You know why? Because it takes so long for them to get on their own. The eagle because cam the bird- that, that I was watching is the one over at Berry College. They've had it up for a couple, three years. And the most interesting thing is it has a microphone on it now so that you can actually hear the little baby eagles when they were little going yak, 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 when their mother or father would bring back a, a rat or a squirrel or something like that. And then as they got older, you could hear them beginning to mature and get a bigger eagle-like sound. And then all of a sudden one day, they were gone. They didn't see them again for the next several weeks where they were just out hunting in their drone and their adult eagles. Now It was really great. I love watching them. Yeah, we are, they are so resilient, and that's how they they make the evolution with us for so many, you know, thousand years. You know, Nicole, I just thought of another bird that I really, really like, and that is chimney swifts. I have uh, every year, sometime about right now, people will call and say, I have bats in my chimney. I hear these squeaking sounds in my chimney. How do I get the bats out of my chimney? And it's not bats. It is birds. The chimney swift lives in open chimneys. They don't do any harm to the chimney. There's only one, maybe two nests in there, so usually there's only you know, a few birds. But the noise or the what I call it, the music that they make. It's just glorious. When you come in in the afternoon and they're all up there waiting for their mom and daddy to come in with a worm and they cheep, 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 all in my chimney. It just makes me happy. Yes, yes. I mean, we, it gives us the peace inside of our heart. Yeah, that and that's why we nice. get so many trees around the house for them to... Uh be around us. You know? Yeah, exactly so. Nicole, I'm looking at the clock. i got to go, but it's great talking to you once again. Enjoy your day. We'll see you next Saturday, Nicole. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Lawn and Garden. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And that's lucky, too. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. A lot of people don't like four-letter words. Today it's a three-letter word you're not going to like. It's going to be hot. I mean, basically, it's going to be hot this afternoon. Not in the upper 90s, but maybe the low 90s. going to be pretty warm. Get your gardening done this morning before the sun really starts beating down out there. Just a scattered shower here and there. We don't know where it's going to be, but you might hit that a couple of times. Low 70s tonight, no rain overnight. Stay tuned. Atlanta's most accurate and dependable forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95. 
95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Robert is in Atlanta, and he joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Robert, good morning. Good morning. Hey, man, what's up? What's up? I got, I'll try to make this quick. A year ago, we had a great lawn, Bermuda. Yeah. We used the same turf builder year after year on it. Mm-hmm. Then I got a deal on another kind of turf builder, and it completely burned the yard out. Ow. And it didn't come back, so... This is Bermuda grass or fescue? What kind of grass? Bermuda. Okay, go ahead. And so on the top half this year, we put fescue on, and it came up nice, but the heat got to it, and it's frayed, so we cut it down. We want to go back to Bermuda, but there are a lot of bare spots, and Mm -hmm. so we were told that uh, the best we could do, because those Bermuda, I mean, those fescue seeds are still out there, we were told that uh, we could... uh, Use Bermuda seeds and put topsoil over it in, mm. until fall, and then right. maybe we could do something else. So I don't know. We don't know what to do. I'm real hesitant to agree that it was the fertilizer's fault. I mean, okay. most okay. of the time, if you follow, not most of the time, all the time, if you follow the label rate on fertilizer, it's mm-hmm. not going to burn anything. You, they calculate it very closely to know how much you can put down per thousand square feet. They put it on the label, okay. and theoretically, the gardener reads the label and knows how big the lawn is and puts it out appropriately. Mm-hmm. So. I don't believe it's the fertilizer's fault. It's something else, and that could be sometimes too much watering. When Bermuda gets too much water, it gets brown patch and some other diseases because the water just always keeps it damp and it doesn't get ever a chance to dry out. And as far as fescue goes, the most common mistake, maybe I say, Robert, in planting fescue seed anyway, is putting way too much down. There is just a certain limit of how much seed you can put before the little seedlings get so crowded as they just spread diseases back and forth to each other and it just wipes it out in five or six, ten days maybe. And so with uh, fescue seed, never any more than six or seven pounds per thousand square feet. Don't use the end of the bag. Don't use, you know, old seed, but six or seven pounds per thousand is about right for fescue. And for Bermuda grass, if it is still viable seed, it will come up. The stuff that you put out and cover it with a little bit of soil, that should come up too. But again, I don't want to blame the fertilizer for the problem, and I can many times find what was wrong just by looking at what the what the operator, what the homeowner did that uh, didn't turn out quite right for the grass. Thanks for calling, Robert. We'll be back in a little bit at 628 at News Talk WSB. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 636 on a Saturday morning, 68 degrees outside. we got about ooh, 25 or so to go. It's going to be hot this afternoon. If you have a garden question, 404-872-0750. Santa Charlie's with us this morning. Hey, Charlie, good morning. What's going on? Well, uh, as you know, I've been telling you for a while I'm moving to Florida. Well, the time is drawing nigh. Yeah, got- we're going to miss you terribly. Go ahead. Uh, so anyway, I was wondering, can you... Uh, could you grow avocados, do you think, on a line uh, from, like, Daytona to Ocala to Stainahatchee? I think? would think so. I think that, you know, you run a little bit of risk because that is not quite as low down as Miami or Key West where avocados just grow wild. Uh-huh. But I would think, sure, that you could try an avocado. Probably they would grow for five, ten years until you have one of those awful, you know, news-breaking freezes, and then your avocado it might go down. But, yeah, I would sure try. I sure would. 
So what about like the with the Lario? If I take some of that from up here, because I got just oodles of it. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you don't know. With Lario, if you dig up a clump, a foot and a half by a foot and a half, and take it home, and you got enough Lario to do the entire landscape just by. I dividing know that. It up. Uh, I was just wanting to make sure. Kind of, we're not in the typical, I guess, Ocala. We're kind of on the edge of that farm belt where it's yeah. kind of what they call the bushes. Yeah, yeah. Where it's kind of dry. So I figure if we get down there in the in November and December, during the winter months, get them established, I figure they do pretty good. Yeah, I think you'll be fine. Leary Oak should be fine down there. Uh, do I have a go-to uh, gardener guru like you down there? Uh, who? McCubbin. Tom McCubbin is my friend. He does a radio show that goes over, I think, most of the middle and lower half of Florida. And uh-huh. Tom and his wife, Joni, do a radio show. I can't tell you which day they're on, Saturday or Sunday or what time or anything, but Tom McCubbin. And you call him and you say, Walter Reed says, hey. Okay. Tom, Tom McCubbin. McCubbin, C-O-V-I-N-G. Uh, it's uh, M-C-C-U-B-B-I-N. McCubbin. McCubbin. Yeah. Check him okay, out. Uh, we were down there some years back. They had the thing called the... Uh, Persian lime. Yeah. That's and I talked to the guy who had some down there. He said a disease come through there and killed them all around uh, Aster there. So huh. what they said, I guess, to start over. But those were some uh, pretty good limes. So I guess that's kind of what I want to shoot for. Yeah, sure. Persian lime is the same as the lime you buy from the grocery store and uh-huh. uh, used to make limeade, things like that. It's still all Persian limes, I guess is what you'd call them all. Well, I probably won't get to talk to you anymore, but I sure have enjoyed your show. And Ashley, she's a she's a real champ and hard worker and all. And anyway, I'm gonna miss you all. Oh, Charlie, you know you can always find us online wsbradio.com. We do the you know the show is done on podcast, so you can download it onto your computer and listen to it there. And you got iHeartRadio. You got all the different ways. The WSB Radio app would be great. So uh, I'm not going to miss you much because I know pretty soon you'll figure out how to contact me and we can uh, talk a little bit or actually you can listen to the show as you get down there. But we are heard throughout the world. I get questions occasionally from somebody in Europe and from uh, Asia and places like that. So I know this radio show goes in other places and folks use the Internet instead of just regular radio to, to listen to it. Thanks for calling, Charlie. We'll see you soon. Tom is in Canton, Georgia, and Tom joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Tom, good morning. Hey, good morning, Walter. Thank you for all the information over the years. I really appreciate it. Sure. Um, How can I help, Tom? I've got a problem with my grapes, Walter. They're about 10 years old now and uh, started last year. My my neighbor likes to call them mummies. They just dry up on me. These are bunch grapes or muscadine grapes? They're they're bunch grapes. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. So this this year I, I tried to apply copper. Uh, fungicide to them prior, you know, right after they bloomed, Good. and I've applied it three times, but I'm still getting that deep purple end on them, and they're starting to dry out on me again. So yeah, they get, I'm obviously doing something wrong. They get Pierce's disease, and they get um, I forgot the name of the there's a scientific name for the spot. They get some the spot that rots uh, on bunch grapes. I've forgotten the scientific name for it. But you're exactly right. One of the few fungicides that seems to have some effect on grapes and preventing or helping to prevent disease is the copper-containing fungicides. 
So if I, it's a the butch, right thing, just too late. Yeah, yeah, you'd have to say probably you did it a little too late this year, but you also have to be very persistent because it's not going to give you 100% control. The copper fungicides are not going to give 100% never have it again kind of control. And so every year it becomes part of the schedule of raising grapes because I need to get out and spray with CONAP or you know, one of the other uh, copper fungicides and use that on a regularly persistently and consistently, and pretty soon you will have many of those infected grapes on the ground underneath the plants each year, and you'll have a pretty good harvest. Okay, what, what about airflow? Is that... Is that that's important, but well. I don't think that is the cure for anything. You prune them a little bit, prune your bunch of grapes a little bit to increase airflow uh, when you're doing the major pruning in January or February. But I think the main thing once they've gotten fungal diseases is to be very persistent about using fungicides against the against the disease. Start before they bloom, just when they leaf out, or uh, I read the read the label on whichever fungicide you're using. The one I know about is okay. called CONAP, C-O-N-A-P, for copper naphthalene or something like that. And uh, just okay. read the label, and it'll tell you what the schedule should be. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Tom, it's great talking to you. Thanks for calling. Oh, thank you. Bye-bye. 42 minutes past the hour. Donna is in Lawrenceville. Donna joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Donna. Good morning. Good morning, Walter. I always enjoy waking up and listening to you on Saturday mornings. I'm it's such a hear. treat. Thanks, I, I have a quick question. Um, I've got a Japanese maple in the front of the house, and it has it has been so lovely for over twelve years. And it it's it some of the leaves get close to the house, oh, yeah. and I just want to know: should I trim it from the outside or from the inside? Outside. Um, if you prune it from the inside, you're going to take off a lot of leaves and leave a hole, and it's going to look sort of odd there. Uh-huh. Do you want to go to a class about this, Donna? i got a great class coming up in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Ah, sure. this is awesome. This is really good because the guru of Japanese maple pruning in Atlanta, a guy named Norm Mitleider, is going to do a class at the Atlanta Botanical Garden on June 27th. And so if you can make your way down from Lawrenceville to the ABG on June 27th, then you can hear the man who knows all about Japanese maple pruning. Oh, wow. Excellent. That and, sounds terrific. Yeah, Norm, Norm's a great guy, very conscientious, very knowledgeable about uh, Japanese maples. And I don't remember exactly when and you know the details about where it's going to be on the Botanical Garden campus, but you can go to atlantabotanicalgarden.com com or .org, one or the other. Google Atlanta Botanical Garden and you can get the schedule for Norm's class. Okay, sounds great. All right. Well, enjoy your show and I hope you have a fabulous week. Thank you, dear. We'll see you soon, Donna. Thank you. Bye-bye. 404 gets you in to take Donna's place. We got Sharon and Waleska, but Sharon has got a big old problem now. What you got, Sharon? Good morning, Walter. Good morning. I moved in 15 months ago with an elderly woman, and now I'm taking care of her yard. Uh-huh. There is a wisteria, and those oh. roots or runners are awesome. I mean, they're all over her yard. Yeah, How yeah. do you get rid of that massive ground uh, runner? Oh, Sharon. It's yes. not going to be an easy task. It's I've gonna, already found that out. <laughs> this is going to be your hobby for the next five years, probably. I know. It's, it's like they're, I, I pull them up, and they come back, yeah. and then there's some more yeah. growing, yeah. and they're hard to get out of the ground. 
it would be great if somehow we could use genetic manipulation to put the, the instinct to survive of yes. wisteria plants <laughs> in with some of the plants that just never seem to work out in the flower garden that always seem to you know die after they've been in the ground for two weeks or something like that. Because Lord help us, wisteria is always thinking of what is the best strategy to get around Sharon and everybody yes. else in the South <laughs> so that it can put up more sprouts. I mean, to be honest with you, there's no chemical that's going to give you one spray kills them all kind of control over it. You just have to be persistent. And I literally well, mean manually. three or four years it'll take to get the wisteria completely gone. Uh, putting well, a little bit of, you can use Roundup, you can use Weed Be Gone, uh, or you can mow it down. You don't have to use a chemical. You just chop it down, mow it down, you know, do whatever you need to to keep the leaves off the plant because what you're aiming to do is eventually to starve it to death by keeping the leaves off. So that wood started to die if it never uh, is allowed to grow more roots. And underneath it, 12 inches, two feet away from where you sprayed the chemical, it's still alive. And it's thinking, doggone oh. that, Sharon, I am going to go around this way. Maybe another sproutless, maybe she won't see me next time. It's <laughs> always thinking, always thinking of how to get around you. Oh, wow. Okay. The other thing is, I noticed Japanese, I guess they're Japanese beetles. Yeah. They're mating and eating yeah. up the leaves of the wisteria. Yeah, I like wouldn't it be great? Idea. I'd better get rid of it, but... <laughs> It'd be great if the Japanese beetles would take care of it. They won't do yeah, the job for you. the no. root part. Yeah. <laughs> now, so. what would I use to get rid of them? That's another one where organic control is just almost useless because the vine is up in the tree and way above your head, and so you can't get all the Japanese beetles in the world. You can spray with um, synthetic insecticides, seven or eight, either one. There are two products that are different chemicals that work, work pretty well on beetles. So oh. either seven, liquid seven, or eight, E-I-G-H-T, um, oh. can be used to spray up into the mines or wherever you see the Japanese beetles. Okay, well, I'll give it a shot. I've only been here 15 months and already I'm working so <laughs> Welcome South, Sharon. Glad yes, you're here, yes, but exactly, it's, not a, it it's not a vacation in the garden in Atlanta. In no, sir. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Walt. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for calling, Sharon. Sure. Bye. We got Jill in Buford, Georgia, who joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Jill. Good morning. Hello. Hey. What's up? I've got a distressed out oak tree. Okay. It doesn't even make shade and it's large enough to make a big shade. Yeah. So what? The leaves are all curling under and turning really dark green. Do you see any leaves that are just falling out of the tree? Not yet. It's still producing small acorns, uh -huh. but it looks it doesn't even have shade, and you can see sunlight all the way through it. Huh. So they're not leaves falling. I'll tell you, this is the time of year. This year has been a really, for whatever reason, I don't know, a really good year for a disease called oak leaf blister. But it causes usually leaves to fall out of the tree when they get blistered all over them. And the other problem is a gall called the oak jumping gall because these little tiny galls drop off the leaves and they jump around on the ground for a few minutes. And... Um, that causes leaf drop, too. But when you say there are not any leaves dropping from the tree, I'm thinking, well, hmm, maybe it's not the disease. Maybe it's not the gall. What could it be? The leaves are almost as if a, you know, a blight that will take over. Yeah. It's turning dark and shriveling up similar to a blight that I've seen on other plants. You know what you need to do, Jill? Is there any chance that any um, weed killer has been applied underneath that tree? No, Weed feed, so. anything like that? Uh-uh. Because one of the things I notice sometimes about weed killer damage to plants when it's sprayed or, or put on the soil nearby is that the leaves do turn sort of a dark green and they pucker up and turn a little bit because of the uh, chemical that's been absorbed by the roots. So 
you know what? You go to my website, and there's a contact Walter button down at the bottom, and it'll open up an email form, and you can just send me some pictures of it. I'd okay. sort of like to see what it looks like, and you know, give me a close up to the leaves, far back from the tree, to see any pattern in the tree, just anything you think is interesting to to look at, and I'll take a look at it. We'll see what it is. Thanks a bunch. I appreciate it. That's great talking to you, Jill. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Six forty eight on a Saturday morning. You're listening to Lawn and Garden. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And time for a weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. If you're going to do some gardening today, it really, really is going to be better if you do it this morning. Because it's going to be 90 degrees this afternoon, pretty hot. Pretty humid, no rain really other than pop-up showers, and overnight the temperatures go down into the low 70s. Clear skies overnight as well. Full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Kevin in Noonan joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Kevin, good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you this morning? All right. What can I do for you? Hey, I keep hanging out at Lowe's and Home Depot waiting on one of them backyard improvement shows to come talk to me, but they haven't. So. <laughs> you got, all you got is me, Kevin. Come on. <laughs> well, uh, I've got a problem with erosion where my shade trees have taken over and uh, gotten rid of whatever grass I had before. But, yeah. So now I'm trying to figure out what can I put down that will slow the erosion down. Uh, I've pruned the trees back pretty good, so I've got some good sunlight back there mm. now. Am I too late in the season to try to get a grass growing? Ay, 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 It's not too late to plant Bermuda grass, but the Bermuda grass is not going to, or seeded Bermuda grass anyway, is not particularly going to like the amount of sunshine or shade that you have, because I, I imagine that you are in a partial sunshine, partial shade kind of situation underneath the trees, and Bermuda would really prefer to be full sun. So it's not too late to plant it. I'm just not sure it's going to survive and do well in the conditions you've got. Okay. Any chance, what about, Kevin, any chance of planting Liriope in there, monkey grass? I think for the area it would be too big. Too big, all right. Hmm, I think there's going to have to be other consist other solutions considered to the situation. I think that you may have to rely on uh, mulch and maybe some um, 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 cross ties or blocks or something like that to sort of slow down any any flowing of water across the across the area because I just worry that plants, even in the amount of sunshine that you've given them, now that you prune the trees up. A lot of plants are not going to be really, really happy and are going to be, uh, you know, sort of one year and gone kind of deal with them. Lyria will do fine. I know it's pretty big, but Lyria will do fine in that situation. And I just worry that Bermuda, Zoysia, Centipede, those that can be planted this time of year, are not going to be happy with the sunshine situation. Okay. All right. Think, keep I'll thinking. Keep think creatively. Away. Think, uh, you know, ask friends. Sometimes your friends have more ideas about what you should do in your landscape than you have about what you should do <laughs> in the landscape. So, uh, you they're know, always, ask friends. friends. Yeah, buddies, neighbors, anybody like that. Say, hey, what do you think I ought to do over here underneath this tree? And if they have something that you think is worthwhile, call me back next Saturday or the Saturday after that and say, what do you think about this? My buddy Bob says. And I'll tell you what I think about that, too. I'll do it. Thanks so much for your help. Hey, thanks for calling, Kevin. Great talking yes, to you. Sir. we got coming up in the next half hour, Bob says his strawberries are not getting bigger every year. They're smaller every year, and he doesn't like that. 
Bill in Kingston says he wants to prevent rodents from his from his garden. Alan has a weeping cherry tree with white spots on the leaves. And Jeremiah in Smyrna has too many pine cones. Just too many of them. Let's figure out what we're going to do about that. You can call us 404-872-0750. We'll be back. After news.